As we mentioned last week, the second half of this long series we're doing called Understanding God's Redemptive Purposes During National Distress, that the second half of this kind of took a turn and became thematic studies. And the first time we looked at thematic studies, we saw God as creator and victor. Then we saw God as life giver. And today, we're going to see God as dweller. Now, I got to be honest with you. The text we're going to be working from today is not the most exciting text. It's like reading a blueprint. I know many people who just, you know, make it a, a great joy of their lives to read blueprints. But there is one really exciting part. And I'm going to ask you to see if you can guess it when we actually read the text. But I've got to first build some context as to where we are at. I've already told you our theme is going to be God as dweller. What I want to do is to verify, so you know I'm not just throwing that out there, I want to verify that this really is a theme throughout the scriptures. Now we're, we are in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 21 is where our text will be today. We're backing up to pick up what we, what we jumped over last week. And in Revelation chapter 21, we have the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And we read in uh, Revelation 21.3 a few weeks back, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Well, if we back up from there, see that's at the end of the New Testament, if we back up to establish this theme we come to the beginning of the New Testament and we read John's account in his introduction of Jesus Christ who he refers to as the Word and he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we come back even further and we come to the time of Solomon, a passage that we're rather familiar with in 1 Kings chapter 8. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon has completed building, building the temple. Now, the, there's the temple and the tabernacle. And we need to understand that the temple is the permanent structure. And he has just completed it. And we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10, as they've dedicated the temple, and it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. I trust you're getting the theme. Back it up a little further and we come to Moses in Exodus chapter 25 verse 8. And God gave him this wonderful instruction as they uh, as they now are just about a year away from being in, in uh, Sinai or from Egypt. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And then in Exodus 40, 34, when the sanctuary has been built and God's presence enters into that, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God was going to be dwelling there with them. Now that was the movable place of worship and sacrifice. And then we can push it back further once more, and you will see this indeed is a theme that runs throughout Scripture all the way back, and this is what we've done repeatedly, to Genesis chapter 3 in the creation account. And we read this. After Adam and Eve had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
We read in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When originally created, Adam and Eve were created to be in presence with and dwelling with and having God dwell with them that, that uh, there was this connection that was immediate. And that theme then from Revelation all the way back to Genesis, we see it. So having established it as a legitimate theme for us to consider, I want to come back now to our text for today. And our text begins in twenty-one chapter, Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. And I told you, it's kind of like reading a blueprint, but there's one exciting part, and here's what you do. When you say, that's it, that's the exciting part, you notice it, then just poke somebody next to you. Don't knock over their extra buttery popcorn, or don't make them spill their, their root beer float. Don't do that, but let them know that you know, hey, you're on to what's happening here. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, and here's what we read. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. I told you it was like reading blueprints, right? Woo-hoo! Not the kind of thing we normally do our devotions in. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Did you see it? Did you get excited when you realized what it was? Some of you saw it. I know you did. It was in verse 16 when we read this magnificent statement. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Isn't that absolutely fascinating? Isn't it exciting to read that? For those of you who don't get it, because some of you are like, I'm with you. Those of you who don't get it, let me explain why that is so exciting. 
Because that verse reveals a hint to another theme related to God as dweller. You see, the God who is dweller is also the God who is relator, the one who relates to us. He dwells among his people to be in relationship with his people. And as we've just sung, I mean, Amber selected well that we're singing songs about, about relationship, about God's presence, about being with him and connecting with him. Being with people, being in relationship is critical as to who we are. This past Thursday night, the board met for the first time in uh, two months. Our last meeting was a Zoom meeting, and that just really it was okay, but it doesn't do it because you, you have to understand, our board meetings are a great place to be. Some church board meetings I've heard are really not fun. Ours are a blessing to be a part of because uh, not only does Miles, who is an outstanding chairman, lead us to get good work done, but, you know, we, we will be working for a while and then somebody will say something and we'll just break up in laughter. And in this last time in particular, it became so, uh, we became so aware of all the things that God has done during this shutdown to keep us moving forward as a congregation, to keep us uh, heading in the right direction. And as I sat in that meeting... And I just watched being with these, I was with these brothers and sisters again, and I watched what was happening in our midst, and I heard the laughter, and I heard the praise given to God. I just sat there thinking, I need to be with these people. I have needed to be here and reconnect with them. And that's simply because we're made in God's image. And as such, we are made for relationship now, what did he say when he made Adam? He said, it's not good that man should be alone. Well, it was good to be together again. Well, if you think we're made in God's image and we're made for relationship, it's not a, a, a big jump to say, well, then God is the one who is the ultimate relator. Or you might say he's the prime relator. He's the one from which this entire concept of relating to one another, being in fellowship with one another, comes into play. Now, we need to understand relative to that, that yes, he's the ultimate relator. He's the prime relator. But you know, he's also perfect in his being. And as such, God needs nothing. So that sets up an interesting question. How can God be the prime relator and need no one else, because don't you need to have someone to relate to? Doesn't he need us so that he can be in relationship with us? Well, you might think that, but the answer to that question is no. God does not need us because he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Now, here's where it gets fun, friends. In Revelation 22, so that's the last chapter of the Bible, and we only got a few more verses after where we're going to, I'm just going to note, you can look it up for yourself. Revelation 22, 
verse 16, 17, and 18 reference the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. And that, because this is thematic, takes us all the way back to the first chapter of God's revelation in Genesis chapter 1. So from the last chapter to the first chapter where we read as God is going to create us and he's going to create us as relators ourselves because we're made in his image. But we read this significant statement. Let us make man in our image. God didn't say, I am going to make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. And the theme that we're dealing with tonight, with that reveals that there is a plurality within the oneness of God. Now, Scripture is clear. There is but one God. Absolutely clear on that. There is no other God. But within the oneness of God, there is a plurality. Now, as you watch the scriptures unfold from Genesis 1 on to Revelation 22, you know, the, the theologians through the years have come to understand that this plurality in God is what we call the Trinity or the tri-unity. Three, one. Scripture reveals the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons, each distinct, with one nature, one essence. It's hard to wrap our minds around that. It's kind of like, what? Three persons, one nature, one essence. So I believe knowing how difficult that is, that God has given us an illustration to work with. Here's the illustration. He measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. And I know you may be saying right about now, Garrett, this doesn't make sense. You keep coming back to that verse, but it will make sense. And I want you to notice that the information in that particular verse is also thematic. So that was in Revelation chapter 21, about the length, breadth, and height are equal. We back up, and we come to another place, 1 Kings chapter 6. We find out, remember the temple that David built, or that Solomon built, and God was going to dwell in the dark cloud, and God took his presence there. This is the permanent temple. It's a solid building. We read in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 19, He prepared the inner sanctuary, sometimes referred to as the holiest or the holy of holies, that place where the Ark of the Covenant would be, where God said, I will meet you on the mercy seat. Right there is where God is going to manifest His presence. He prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. Notice this. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. Although the distances were different, the shape 
the form where God was going to be meeting with them is exactly the same. It's not stated specifically. I've not been able to find it. But I do believe it's a fair statement to say that by comparison, and it's technical stuff we'd have to look at. We don't have time for it. Give me a call if you want to, you know, over a coffee one day, say, hey, let's figure this out. I'm glad to do that. Don't have time here. But by comparison and inference, we can conclude that at the Holy of, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, remember now that was earlier than the temple. It is the movable structure. It's a tent-like structure. The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle minimally approaches the dimensions of 10 cubits cubed. At least approaches that. I tend to believe it actually is, but it doesn't say that, so I, I'm not comfortable saying that it is absolutely 10 cubits cubed, but because of the pattern of these other things, I believe that it was built in that way. Here's the point now. Three times, there's three times in Scripture that God's dwelling is related to a physical structure. The holy city coming down from Jerusalem, Revelation uh, 21, the temple in 1 Kings 6 on through 8, and the tabernacle in Exodus 25 on through 24. And in every place where God is going to manifest His presence in a physical structure, it's always a cube. Why? Why a cube? Actually, a cube is kind of boring. Imagine some, they hire some, they hire some uh, architect and he's been given the task uh, uh, of making a brand, a brand new opera hall, uh, say in, in New York or in Chicago. And what he comes up with is a cube. It'll get panned. People say, that's ugly. What's interesting about a cube? There's nothing there that we think is really all that wonderful. And yet God chooses a cube. That gets us thinking. Why not a pyramid? The Egyptians had something kind of cool with those pyramids. Why not more like a circle, uh, you know, Stonehenge? Why not an octagon? They're kind of cool. No. Every time, a cube. Why? A cube is a perfect illustration of God as Trinity. Now, we're going to just move into, demonstrate that, that illustration for you here. I need to tell you, the next thing we're going to do, we're going to draw on chemistry, we're going to draw on geometry, and we're going to draw on theology. All three at one are going to come into play. Now, during the shutdown, I've learned that it's all about the science. Boy, everybody's got science on their, size, on their side, right? And if you don't agree with me in the interpretation of the science, well, then you're clearly wrong and you don't like science. Well, I've seen science is king, apparently. So, in order to give some authority to what I'm going to say as we begin talking the science of chemistry and we're talking geometry and it sounds like it's really impressive, uh, I'm going to put on a lab coat so that I look like I'm intelligent. Okay, because if you think about it, when we grew up watching Bill Nye the Science Guy, all right, we knew he was intelligent because he had a lab coat on. And that is what just made him seem so smart, certainly smarter than the rest of us, because after all, 
He was a man of science. And so we had to absolutely believe him in everything that he said because science. So that being the case, I'm going to bring this along with me just in case I forget something, but I hope I don't need it. But here's our thinking. Come down here. Oh, and the lab coat will hopefully form a, a, second, uh, a, a secondary uh, help to us, and it'll provide a white backdrop for what it is that we have here. But what I have for us here is a cube right here of green jello. Why jello? Well, that's the chemistry part. You see, if you look at this jello, if you were to sample it, right, you know, if you were to take a biopsy of the jello and you could select from anywhere within this cube of jello, no matter where you draw from, you're going to get the same essence or nature from your sample. It is the same throughout. That's the chemistry of the jello. But there's also the geometry of the jello. Because the, 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 the jello as a cube reveals to us a spatial differentiation. So that there is, there is a, a, a way of looking at the jello that goes this way, which is different than this way, and different than this way. They are spatially different. That's geometry. But they are essentially the same. That's chemistry. And those two elements we bring together to understand the theology in God's illustration. Three people of the Trinity. My fear at this point, having never done this before, is this thing is going to slide off. Patty's going to shoot me if it does. I've tested it, and I don't think it will. But let's consider this. Consider this as the plane or the depth of the, we'll just say that's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Here is the plane or the direction of the Father. And you know then that here becomes the plane or the direction of the Son. Anywhere where I might look at the Spirit, okay, because it moves this way, anywhere where I look, I will find the same essence of everything. But this is not this. And anywhere I look this way, I will find the Son. I'm looking at the Son. But the Son is neither the Spirit nor the Father. And I'm not tall enough, but we could look straight down. And we could say, and that's the Father. So what do we wind up with? It doesn't matter whether you're looking at the Spirit, the Son, or the Father. They all, you will find the same essential nature in each of them. And yet, they're distinct from one another. This direction and the plane and, the, and what's happening there is not this, nor is it that. So that we're able, I can, I can get down here and I can look because it's coming out this side. I can look, say, I'm looking just at the Spirit right now. It's all I can see. And I can move over here and I can say, all I can see is the sun. 
Get on top. All I can see is the Father. Or I can move over here and I can say, I want to do a comparative understanding of the Spirit to the Son or of the Son to the Father. Or I can look here and see all three. But every one is distinct from the other, yet of the very same essence. I believe that in the, the cube that God keeps revealing himself in, he is revealing himself as a tri-unity. And that's why that shape is distinguished every single time. And it reminds us, it points out to us, it teaches us, it teaches us that our God is absolutely magnificent, does it not? How great is our God? See, the dweller relater does not need us. Why? Because we said it earlier. Remember, doesn't he have to have something out here to relate to? No, because he is in perfect relationship within himself. Three persons to relate in perfect harmony. So there is no need in God that he has to have you or me in order to complete his sense of being or his sense of wellness, much like I needed it to sit here with the board. I needed to be with them. God doesn't have that need. He does not need us. But get this. He has chosen us. He has said that he wants to be in relation to us. And in that choosing, he demonstrates his love for us, his care, his delight in us when we walk with him and we allow him to work. In our lives. And I, I just want to make this note right now. As we've had these many Saturday nights together, this is why you have not seen me simply focus on the pandemic. There's this pandemic going on out there, and oh my goodness, what are we going to do? There's a pandemic going on out there. What I have tried to do week by week is to remind us the pandemic is passing. The triune God, creator God, victor God, life giver God, dweller God, relator God is not passing. He will never change. He will always be there. And his presence, as we sang about earlier, his presence is with us and we can enter into it and we can understand it. And he is every day sustaining and caring for us according to his perfect will. God is not passing. Everything else is, but not him. And that is where we rest. Regardless of what is going on around us. Let's pray. Father, you are so magnificent in your being, so incredible that your attributes just overwhelm us. They are complete in you and, and uh, your person. And it is just amazing to consider that. It is amazing to consider that, that you have revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Spirit, that you are God more complex, more eternal, more 
incredible than we could possibly comprehend, Lord. Today, we want to consider this magnificent truth. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, give you praise for who you are. And Father, realize that regardless of how crazy things may have been or may get yet in this world around us, you are one we can always look to. And we yield ourselves to your perfect work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.